Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs> hey there, we're back. We are. So, how are you today, Becky? I am excellent, thank you. It's a bit hot. I don't like the hot. Is it? Yeah, it uh, makes me go tropo. Yeah, I cannot stand the heat. Yeah, especially sultry heat. Yeah, what about you guys out there? Can you stand the heat? I just can't. I have no idea why people love summer so much. I know. They actually, people who like summer annoy me a little bit. They get joyous and I think, oh, go away, big boy. I know, I know, and I'll be melting and they'll say, isn't it a nice day? No, it's <laughs> not murderous. a nice day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was meant to live in Alaska or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I often curse my grandmother for emigrating to Eng- from England to Australia. I think, why didn't you stay in England? We could have all lived there. <laughs> I know. Do you know what? I absolutely would not be able to bear living in a place like the Northern Territory? No, no, because the heat there is quite overwhelming. And don't get me wrong, guys, it's a beautiful place, but the heat, the heat. Very Ah. oppressive. I like the segue we have going here, Heidi. I I think we managed it quite well. (laughs) It was (laughs) subtle, wasn't it? What are we talking about tonight? Well... Today, we're staying in our own backyards, Becky. Mm. Now, by that, I mean we're not going back to Victorian-era London or the wilds of Siberia or any of the far-off places where our stories are usually set. This story is set in Australia, and as you may have guessed, it's (laughs) set in the Northern Territory. That's all the heat references. Yes. That was smooth. That was smooth. Oh, smooth. <laughs> smooth as butter. So I'm actually really happy about that because one of my favourite episodes that we did last year is the Westall Flying Saucer episode. Yeah. And I wanted something like that again. So I was really glad when you pointed me in the direction of this incident. Yeah, I think we've been wanting to do a ghost story, particularly a local ghost story for a while now. Yeah, and this this is a particularly interesting one. And this one is set in a town with probably the best name ever. We mean ever. 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 So this is set in the Northern Territory town of Humpty Doo. <laughs> so our main reason really for picking this story was just because we wanted to say Humpty Doo over and over and over again. We did. Humpty Doo, Humpty Doo, Humpty, Humpty Doo. Do. So we're not the only ones who love the name. It's been immortalised in songs by Ted Egan and Slim Dusty because how can you not turn the name Humpty Doo into a song? <laughs> There's a lot of debate over how the name originated 
One theory being that the traditional owners, the Woolner people, knew it as Umdidu, but that's not known for certain. No. Another theory is that it's to do with the old English idiom, Umdidu, which means upside down or in disarray. I like that one. Very yep. suitable for this Very story. Suitable. Oh, whenever, when I was trying to do some um, historical research on the town, which was very, very hard, the amount of bizarre stories I found emanating from this place. Oh, I'd my gosh. So Humpty Doo, as I said, is in the Northern Territory. It's about 40 kilometres from the state's capital city, Darwin. It's a small town with a population of roughly... 4,380 people, so it's pretty small. Um, it's known for the famous Humpty Doo Hotel, which is very popular with tourists, and it has the big boxing crocodile, <laughs> a massive landmark in the shape of a crocodile wearing boxing gloves. They had to make it so big so it would be cyclone-proof. Did you know that? Yes, and it was really expensive. <laughs> That's their excuse anyway. But as, <laughs> as lovely as their crocodile is, it's not as good as our Rundle Mall pigeon in Adelaide, I don't think. Oh, look, nothing beats your Rundle Mall pigeon. I know, pigeon. I'm very fond it's, of the Rundle Mall pigeon. Yeah, it's, it's great. So it's typical of Australia's obsession with enormous novelty statues of very <laughs> random things. So we've got the big pineapple, the big banana, the big cow, the big beer can. We just love this stuff. So Humpty Doo has made the news on more than one occasion, and it's usually in connection with crocodiles. <laughs> yep. In 2016, the town made national headlines when a group of teenagers pushed three saltwater crocodiles through the window of a school office at night, then broken through the door, stole a computer and left the crocs to cause havoc in the school. That's the best story I've heard about school disruption. They're, they're, be they're better at pranking than we were when we were kids. I don't. And, and if you look at the, the CCTV footage, they don't <gasps> have CCTV shirts on. footage? There is. They don't have shirts on. It's like, <laughs> so you're going to go and wrestle with a saltwater croc oh half God. naked and then carry it around. Look, I don't know how they did it. I don't know why they did it. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but it's a story. And it's kind of important context to the story we're going to tell you tonight because you're going to really get an understanding of what the protagonists in this story were like as human beings. Yeah. They breed them tough in the Northern Territory. They certainly do. Uh, now, this story isn't about crocodiles, as scary as they are. This story is about a poltergeist. Ooh. So before we proceed, I'll just give a very quick definition of a poltergeist to those listeners who aren't as well versed in spooky things. Poltergeist is German for noisy ghost or rumble ghost. And it's basically a supernatural creature that is responsible for unexplained loud noises and moving objects. Poltergeists are different from other ghosts in that they have actual physical interactions with the humans and the environments around them. Now, there are many theories about what causes poltergeist activities, and we'll go through that a little bit later. 
This particular story takes place at 90 McMinns Drive, an ordinary country house surrounded by bushland. Much of the timeline of this story is from the brilliant book, Australian Poltergeist, the stone-throwing spook of Humpty Doo and many other cases by Tony Healy and Paul Cropper. Both of the authors had stayed in this house during this time of the poltergeist activity, so they're probably the most accurate sources. The people who lived in this house in the year of 1998 were Andrew and Kirsty Aegeus and their baby daughter, as well as their housemates, Dave Clark, Jill Somerville and Doug Murphy. The five adults were indulging in the very Northern Territory pastime of sitting on the patio, watching the lightning of a tropical storm while they cracked jokes and drank beers. That reminds me so much of that song, This Is Australia. <laughs> you know, the out on the patio we sit, watch the lightning crack over cane fields, something like that. Yeah. That was on a Coca-Cola ad when I was a kid. And it's, it's, I remember it um, so much because it was so atmospheric. You know, there's lightning, everyone's sweaty, and it, yeah, it, it um, really made me not want to live in the Northern Territory. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people who've never been to Australia just don't understand the concept of a hot, sweaty storm and when there's lots of humidity. They, they get very romantic about what Australian heat's like. Australian heat, especially tropical heat, is unbearable. And we get warm rain. That's right. Sometimes hot, sometimes hot rain. Hot rain. Yeah. yeah. It's the perfect atmosphere for weirdness, really, if you think about it. Yeah. And in this case, weirdness really did happen. So relaxing out, watching the storm, the disturbance began when pebbles started flying onto the patio, seemingly out of nowhere. Now, thinking it had to be local kids pulling pranks, they ran around the property yelling at the mischief makers to go home. The showers of pebbles did not stop. Disgusted, the housemates went back inside only to find... What do you think they found, Heidi? Now, knowing poltergeist law, I'm going to say pebbles falling from the ceiling. Exactly that. <laughs> and not just any pebbles, but pebbles from their own gravel driveway. There were piles and piles of pebbles in every single room of the house and they kept falling. Unlike the pebbles outside, these were not wet from the storm. So they opened the manhole in the ceiling to check what was happening in the loft and an even larger cascade of stones tumbled down. The pebbles did stop, but the calm was not to last for long. That night, objects started flying through the house, particularly dangerous objects like tools and knives. This continued for days, and the damage to furniture and electrical items left the house looking like a disaster site. However, what disturbed them worse than the wrecking of their home were the eerie noises in the internal walls, a scraping sound as though someone was trapped inside. Kirsty and Jill recalled the constant terror and their feelings of helplessness as they realised that if they did leave the house, they had nowhere to go. So, Heidi, if you were being tormented by a poltergeist, who would you turn to? The landlord. No, seriously. It was a rented house. I'd be yelling at the landlord. I'd be wanting a <laughs> reduction in rent. Well, that's very practical, but our protagonists opted for a priest instead, which is kind of what I would do too, I think. Well, it turns out 
that the one thing that this poltergeist really, really hated was priests. Oh, yeah, yeah. The housemates weren't religious people at all, but they were scared, desperate. They didn't know what else to do. Now, one of the priests that tried their luck was Father Tom English. He got off to a pretty bad start with the entity, a pistol cartridge falling at his feet and a medicine (laughs) bottle flying at him from another room. He did manage to splash some holy water around and bless the house before the poltergeist had a massive tantrum, smashing windows and pulling the Bible and crucifix out of Father Tom's hands. Then there was Father Stephen of Darwin's St Mary's Cathedral. Now, Father Stephen did have some experience with the supernatural. He was originally from India and claimed to have witnessed similar occurrences there. Nothing, however, prepared him for the 90 McMinn's Drive poltergeist, which terrorised him with a floating kitchen knife. Father Stephen told the housemates that one of them was a natural magnet for this kind of entity, although they wouldn't even know it themselves. Kind of like that theory. So do I. The only way to be rid of the ghost was for the person it was attached to to move out. Only they wouldn't know who it was until that person had gone. There was also a Greek Orthodox priest who had put on a whole production of a traditional house exorcism, and his experience was probably the worst. His arm was twisted behind him by a force of great strength, and his prayer book was thrown to the floor. Yeah, now, see, that part of the story always has me curious because... But the house was originally owned, like, for 20 years or 30 years, a long time, by a Greek couple. And they really loved the place. And they were forced out by the bank. And when I say forced out, I mean they were forced out, dragging, you know, dragged, kicking and screaming. So they loved their home. And the woman of the couple always said that she cursed the bank but not the home. So, you know, but I just think about this level of emotion and and distress. I wonder if it somehow... I don't know, opened a door of some kind years earlier, you know? Mm. No, no. But anyway, sorry, digression. Back to the story. Mm. No, that, that's a good point. So by this time, the residents of the house were utterly exhausted. Mm. They basically gave in. The poltergeist hadn't physically hurt any of them. And most importantly, it hadn't touched the baby And it had mostly left the baby's room alone. What if it was the baby? Maybe the baby was Matilda. Yes! (laughs) So they decided to live with it. There might have been a touch of stubbornness in their decision to do this as well. According to Paul Cropper, Dave, a huge man who rode a Harley, had said, We don't want to move out. It's a nice place. 
we were here first. <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah. So I think you have to be really tough people to live in the Northern Territory. There's the crocodiles and the brutal weather and it's just expected that people will be tough, you know, be survivors. Andrew, Kirsty, Dave, Jill and Doug were all working class people. One was a driller, another mechanic and a fisherman. So the type of people with the sort of determination and resolve that meant they could engage in a battle of wills with an angry spirit. And for a time it looked like they were winning. However, soon their enemy would start inflicting a psychological cruelty far worse than flying knives and stones. The entity started to write words. Sometimes the words were made out with scrabble tiles, sometimes in thick marker pen, sometimes in neatly arranged pebbles. Now, there was one set of words that almost broke the spirits of the housemates. Fire, skin, car, help, Troy. They were certain that this had to do with their friend Troy, who had been burnt to death in a car accident. Now, personally, I think that whatever horrible entity was using that to rattle them rather than actually being Troy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. They all said that Troy wouldn't do something like that to them, and I believe them. Now, remember that Humpty Doo is a very small town, and weird happenings like this don't stay secret for very long. Of course, people were talking about the house on McMinn's Drive, and before long, the local paper was taking an interest. The editor and two reporters from the Litchfield Times went to the house and witnessed enough strangeness to write a first-hand account of Australia's most haunted house. Now, the housemates weren't just being bothered by an angry poltergeist, they were also being constantly harassed by media outlets from all over the world. <laughs> when the now-defunct Channel 7 show Today Tonight offered them $5,000 for an exclusive, they agreed. So, hmm, Today Tonight. <laughs> What could we say about the TV show Today Tonight? <laughs> Absolutely nothing good. Look, Not a thing. Look, honestly, it, it had to have been one of the worst programs on Australian television, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a current affairs type of thing, mainly really grubby checkbook journalism. It usually focused on about three different types of story. You know, there's the thinly veiled commercial dressed up as a news story. Yeah. The hidden camera expose, usually shaming people on disability pensions, you know, taking secret footage of them and saying, ha ha, you're not disabled enough to be getting money. <laughs> yeah. It was just horrible. Or, really? you know, hidden camera footage of builders doing their jobs badly. And then there's the stories about scam artists. So if you were featured on the show, you would be either a victim, a hero, or a villain. And there were absolutely no shades of grey. And you wouldn't really have any idea which of those three character types you yeah. would be until the show aired. At the time, though, a lot of people thought it was a good show and they thought it was a trustworthy source. Yeah, no. And this was the 90s. You know, people weren't online as much as they are now. Yeah. They, they yeah. did tend to trust the TV. 
I really think that Stay Tonight and other similar time slot shows destroyed lives. Mm. They did not ever care about the ethical journalism. It was magazine journalism, the very worst kind. And there was no um, uh, no aligning with their stories with any kind of truth, just whatever would be the most interesting for the viewer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at first it looked like the housemates would be given the validation they needed. And the possibly TV... the help they needed. Yes. So the TV crew witnessed the poltergeist shenanigans immediately. That would be such a relief, wouldn't it? Imagine if they'd come all that way from Sydney yeah. and it was just <laughs> quiet. That that would have been terrible. Yeah, but it's today, tonight, they would have gone outside and thrown rocks at they the roof themselves. <laughs> so they knew that they had ratings gold on their hands. They just needed footage of the freaky happenings on the on film. And that was proving to be the hard part. Try as they might, the camera operators could not get a decent shot of the many flying and falling objects around them. Mm. There are, however, some audio recordings. So shall we have a listen to one very short snippet of the poltergeist doing its thing? Let's. That's that's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They seem relieved, don't they? Like, you see, see, it's happening. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. It's pr- like, look, you're seeing it. You know, big, yeah. <laughs> big reporter people from Sydney. It's not just us. Yeah. Yeah. So the poltergeist made its feelings known by writing "pig camera." no TV and no cameras on the walls. So it basically felt the same way about today, tonight as we do. (laughs) So it took days to get only three action shots, but they were enough. They also used thermal imaging cameras to test the fallen objects for human warmth. Reporter Greg Quayle admitted that he'd been planning to uncover a hoax and had instead become a believer in the Humpty Doo poltergeist. See, I think that was common for a lot of people who turned up yeah. expecting, yeah. Yeah. So the, the episode, which, which did air, was sympathetic towards the residents of the house, and it was a roaring success in terms of ratings. It must have been such a relief for the housemates to have been believed and have a reporter from a major broadcaster confirm the truth of their experiences. However, this is Today Tonight we are talking about. Yeah, and one moment you can be a hero and the next you can be the villain with these shows. So we've taken this next part from an article by freelance journalist Max Anderson. Anderson was there at the same time as the Today Tonight crew were actually filming and although he was there independently he witnessed what happened next it's worth reading anderson's full article which was republished on the fortean.com site am i saying that right heidi i think so we'll link it on the facebook page yeah anyway it's worth reading as he gives brilliant details of the possibly paranormal activities he saw and also the horrendous atmosphere of the house and the heat and the stress 
In his article, Anderson writes, On Sunday, a freelance cameraman based in Northern Territory was commissioned by Seven for extra shots, who captured a flying object on tape. Quayle rejected the shot for Monday's show because it could not be cross-checked with the other camera angles. On Tuesday morning, a tape editor noticed a glimpsed reflection of a figure apparently tossing the object over the head of the cameraman. Quayle is in shock. Two seconds of tape will trash two weeks of investigation involving some 30 instances and 18 witnesses. We think the figure is Kirsty, and after the fanfare on Monday, her timing is terrifyingly bad. Okay, so Anderson also describes how an aggrieved Greg Quayle debates his options after meeting with his very angry boss. He claims that Quayle said, you know, there's something in there. I know there's something in there, but what can I do? With that one incident, she's blown the whole story. Kirsty denied throwing the object and the camera operator backed her up by saying, that it would have been impossible for her to have thrown it at that angle. But the TV producers had spoken mm. and a follow-up story was aired, exposing the so-called hoaxes and liars of 90 McMinn's Drive, Humpty Doo. And really making fun of them. Yeah, yeah. The public shaming left the residents furious and hurt. The poltergeists continued to wreak havoc, but they were either too exhausted or too committed to the fight to leave. It was then that Tony Healy and Paul Cropper turned up on their doorstep to ask if they could stay for research purposes. They were met with understandable hostility and outright anger, but they somehow managed to gain the trust of the now bitter and damaged group of friends. Healy and Cropper put their observations into the book Australian Poltergeist. Kirsty, Andrew and the baby did end up leaving and the poltergeist activity stopped. This entire story took place over only four months though it can't be denied that the lives of everybody who lived in, the, lived in that house during that time will be defined by those months. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly enough, the landlord actually evicted them, the, the remaining tenants, not long after, and I wonder how long the rest of them would have stayed or if it would have continued in any way. So what do you think of the, the whole thing? Do I think it was real? Um, yeah. Look, I don't know if I believe in poltergeists, but I also don't think it was a hoax. Yeah, that's where I am. So, I mean, there's no reason for them to do that. Not none. And a lot of the stuff didn't make sense. So, for example, when, when the stones fell, mm. they didn't, like, bounce across the room or ricochet like you'd expect stones to mm. fall. They would go down in sort of almost in slow motion and just stay where they landed. There was no bouncing. That's yeah. creepy. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah. you know, if it if it had been a hoax, it would um, it would involve trashing their personal possessions, angering yeah. the landlord, um, 
constantly waking up a baby. Nobody wants to wake up a baby. Up that's, a baby. That's, no. that's massive <laughs> inconvenience, you know. So I know I don't even think it was about money because, I mean, the money from no. today to night, I mean, it would have been a lot more in the 90s, but it still wasn't a fortune. It's it, you No. Know, that sort of money wouldn't be enough. It no, not at all. Incentive. And they really, they really were not seeking attention for this at any point. This had been going on for quite a while mm. before the media started to um, uh, get involved. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I look. If I had a poltergeist in my house for some weeks, I'm happy to get paid. Mm. You, you want something. And also you might be looking for that validation or that help. And if I remember quickly, and I can't quite remember the Today's Diet stories because I hated the show. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I really hated the show. But yeah. um, they they wanted answers. They wanted mm. it to stop. And every time there was a lull in activity, the relief in the family was really quite palpable. Yes. They were traumatized. Yes. They were traumatized. We're talking about very yeah. grounded people here, without curiosity of such things. They're not like people like you and me who are going around looking for these experiences, yeah, and maybe and, even imagining these experiences. And look, I, I don't know these people, but I, I'm kind of getting the feeling that they may not be the most imaginative people. No, no, and and again, I, I hate to generalize here, but if you meet some of these really hardworking, very um, uh, uh, very grounded people who live up in the Northern Territory, it wouldn't have been worth their own reputations to make up no. shit like this. They would have been tortured by their locals, if nothing else, never mind, yeah. never mind the national media. So I can't see what they could have possibly um, have gained from any of this. I really can't. No, no, neither can I. So let's go back to what a poltergeist actually is. Yeah. So there are two main theories about poltergeist activity. One is that it's a noisy and unruly ghost. The other is that these dis disturbances are caused by telekinesis and the main culprits are teenagers and women. It's been long hypothesized that the angst and unbearable emotional pressure of puberty can cause a young person, usually female, to become telekinetic. Mm. So think, think of Stephen King's Carrie. Yeah. Mm. So physicists Piero Brevetto and Vera Maxia have done extensive research into teenage telekinesis and an article in new scientist gives a rundown of their hypothesis that now i'm going to quote this in full because i'm not sciencey enough to <laughs> paraphrase anything to do with physics okay so the changes in the brain that occur in puberty involve fluctuations in electron activity that in rare cases, can create disturbances up to a few metres around the outside of the brain. These disturbances would be similar in character to the quantum mechanical fluctuations that physicists believe occur in the vacuum, in which virtual particle and antiparticle pairs 
pop up for a fleeting moment before they annihilate each other and disappear again. Brevetto and Maxia believe the extra fluctuations triggered by the, by the pubescent brain would substantially enhance the presence of the virtual particles surrounding the person. This could slowly increase the pressure of air around them, moving objects and even sending them hurtling across the room. So that was taken from a new scientist back in 2008. And I can't find anything recent on that theory that isn't in Italian. So I, I don't really know um, how respected that theory is or, or whether people have found anything refuting that or agreeing with that. So, so who knows? You can read the article yourself. I'll link that as well. See, um, that's interesting, but doesn't explain the Humpty Doo case. So have you seen the film clip to um, Sears Titanium? No. In that it shows a teenage boy, you know, it follows the journey of a teenage boy who is having that kind of problem. He's, you know, prepubescent, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but in it, he's sort of like, he's like an energy that pushes out from him, okay? Mm. Whereas if you look at the Humpty Doo case, I mean, it was spelling out words, it was dropping, it was throwing things. It That doesn't sound like anything internal. Like I really understand that whole internal rage thing and I think I may have even actually experienced that a few times. I mean, the only child in, in that scenario was a baby girl and unless the baby girl is Matilda, as I said before, <laughs> I, I don't know if um, a baby girl would have that kind of energy. Um, something interesting that stuck with me was that, okay, the poltergeist left the little girl alone and yes. left her room alone yes. and left when, uh, Kirsty and Andrew left. So I'm now, I'm not saying that Kirsty was a hoaxer. Could no. she, as Father Stephen was saying, there is somebody who is a conduit. Mm. Could could she have been a conduit, Kirsty? Well, apparently, and I haven't been able to find any confirmation of this, but I have heard from another podcaster actually that um, there had been a few unusual occurrences in the property they lived in before they moved into the Humpty Doo home, and that happened after the baby was born. So, I mean, having a baby can be a really um, life-altering as well as hormone-changing experience. Mm. I don't know. I think, that, I, think, I think it's possible that Kirsty could have been a conduit, but I can't imagine how anyone could have, from, from the eyewitness accounts I've had, and, again, if we're looking at people like Healy, um, they're very pragmatic in their research. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes. They're, they're not whimsical. Very pragmatic. Very pragmatic. They're more Heidi yeah. than Becky. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so he sort of said the stuff he wasn't sure on, but the stuff he was really sure on. And he really did see some alarming stuff that he'd never seen anywhere else. I don't think that Kirsty would have been an intelligent, I'm sorry, Kirsty, intelligent or um, uh, manipulative enough to be able to come up with that level. I mean, someone had the theory that they were putting the rocks on top of the fans so that when the fans spun around. Oh, fuck. Sorry, Heidi. <laughs> Actually, we should leave this in the podcast. What do you reckon? Yes. I've got a bit of 
poltergeist activity going on outside my window right now <laughs> in the form of a neighbour. Seriously, should we edit this out? Or should we leave it in? You know what? Leave it in. I say leave it leave in. Leave it in. <laughs> leave yeah, it leave in. It in. The, the, the real behind the scenes of trying to record a podcast. <laughs> what were we talking about? It was a good yeah. point we were making too. Oh, the stone, the stones on the ceiling. Fan. Oh, the stones. So yeah, there's another theory that that they put the stones on the thing that doesn't explain the throwing of the knives. It doesn't explain the force and it doesn't explain the lack of bounce. The lack of bounce was a thing that everyone sort of reported and that to me eliminates hoax ability. Does that make sense? Yes, and it was the fact that so many, so many people saw this stuff yeah. and left the house going, yeah, that there is something there. And people who were turning up with the 100% expect, um, if I was to turn up to this, I would be expecting to see something because I'm that way inclined. Mm. The people who were turning up were expecting a hoax. They were taking fun, making fun of it and so they were quite shocked. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And another thing I was thinking of was, you know, if we go right back to the start of the story and they're on the patio, they're watching the lightning, mm. could there have been some kind of electrical disturbance? Because there are some ghost theories that say that they have a lot a lot of connection with electricity. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Could there have been some kind of change in the in the weather and the atmosphere that I don't know. I think perhaps the term a perfect storm might apply here in that mm. if you have a lot of different things happening at once. So we've got a, a young woman who's just had a baby and we don't know what else was going on for her. Mm. Right, we have, um, and that makes sense with the baby being protected from it all too. Yeah. Um, we have the electrical storm. We have Humpty Doo, which is just a strange place. <laughs> yeah. And got a very weird vibe to it. Mm. As well know. as tons of crocodiles. Tons of crocodiles. And also the fact that the previous owners, literally the ones who lived in there beforehand were removed by force and it was quite traumatic for them. I know that mm. if someone drags me out of my house, I'm so leaving a curse. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And, I don't disbelieve them, but I can't prove it either. And know? also the violent death of their friend beforehand. And, and even if yes. it wasn't, even if it wasn't Troy causing that, you know, was there a yeah, kind of the door energy from open. the grief? Yeah, well, I've said that to you. Um, okay, so now we're going to go into the Becky and Heidi <laughs> personas quite here. So Heidi's a bit more pragmatic than me, whereas I'm a little bit, ooh, right? Um, so when I've experienced grief or trauma in my life, it's almost like there's a little door that opens and it's ooh. no longer connected to the trauma or to the person, but it's like other things kind of sneak in. Does that make sense to you? It does make sense. It's mm -hmm. never happened to me, but I can imagine what it is that you're it's saying. The yeah. opening of the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing that there were lots of psychic doors surrounding that property. Yeah, maybe for that period of time. Very interesting. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. I don't, as I said, I do not disbelieve them. I do not disbelieve them, but I can't quite make sense of it either. Yes, I'm in exactly the same position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Have any of you guys out there had experience with poltergeists or with ghosts or with any unexplained phenomena? So if you have, um, you can leave a story on our Facebook page. We'd love to. We'd love to read it. We would love to read that. Yeah, it's the sort of thing we like. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's the kind of thing we like so much that we need to make a podcast about it. That's right. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. I May know the poltergeist cross your paths. And if there's a big storm outside, be wary. Be, be wary. wary. Be wary of that electricity. So, <laughs> so we hope that everybody has a very calm and very organised and non-ghostly week ahead of them that would be nice yeah and thank you for listening see you later guys bye everyone take care